But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> David, I am jealous beyond words. I cannot tell you how, how jealous I am that you got to go to Artie and Ed's. Oh, okay. <laughs> you got you got to go to Artie and Ed's in March, all right? You got to go to Artie and Ed's on, I believe, the second day that they were open for the season? Second day they were open, February 28th, because they opened for the season on the 27th. And the uh, nice young ladies were in slacks instead of poodle skirts, and nobody was on roller skates. Uh, just, just say the word chocolate shake for me, David. Just say chocolate. Oh. Chocolate shake. Yeah. Or, or in my case, hot fudge shake. <laughs> uh, oh, and they had a little temporary structure that went over the order window where the young ladies in warm weather, you roll up on the roller skates and hand their orders to the guys inside. So they had this little temporary structure to uh, a huddle in, and it was all painted up to match the building and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And, That's interesting. And, uh, I've never seen pictures of that. That's not, Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, uh, and it looked like it probably, you know, take maybe a half an hour to take it apart and store it in the uh, big building out back and, but uh, they were alive well, had customers, uh, and it wasn't exactly a ide- an ideal day. And uh, there were still a couple of people ice fishing out on the lake to give you oh, a... There was still ice on the lake. I was going to ask you about that. But the, what's, it, what's the weather? Is there snow on the ground there Is it in Oshkosh? Well, that's the weird thing. I got off the airplane at Green Bay and picked up the rental car and start heading down uh, 41, and the... There's no snow on the ground to speak of, uh, big piles of it in parking lots and uh, uh, lots of evidence that there had been plenty of snow, but it was all cleaned up. And uh, But did start to snow to beat the band uh, sitting at the uh, terminal at Green Bay uh, to come back a couple of days later. Uh-huh. Uh, snowed hard enough that it made me wonder whether we were going to have visibility to take off. Oh, okay. Yeah, because those those one twenty one guys they like to have visibility to come back before they consider it visible enough to go out. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, and uh, so they they have a little more restriction than we do under ninety one. And uh, but yeah, it uh, it it lightened up. The visibility was not quite a mile. Uh, indefinite ceiling. I don't know where in the hell we went into the clouds, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Artie and Ed's had a nice, nice fresh hot fudge milkshake to uh, sip on on the drive back up to uh, Green Bay, and it is a very, very surreal experience to uh, roll into Whitman Regional and see virtually nothing going on. <laughs> yeah, I wanted now later on in the podcast in this episode we'll talk about why you were in Oshkosh. But but tell tell us a little bit about that. The uh the uh the what's you know Whitman Field and Oshkosh like in March in, in you know when the show's not going on. I've been there a couple times at when it's like this and it is surreal. What what was your impression? Uh I can boil it down to two letters. M T uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah there's a lot of a lot of empty grass out there this time of year. But there was, uh, you know, it was a, a sunny, uh, uh, temperate day, uh, uh, first day there, and uh, saw airplanes in the pattern and could hear them in the pattern off and on all day. Same same way on uh, on the day that I left, although 
little overcast, little gray, not as not as friendly. Uh, but yeah, it's just a big wide open space and uh, uh, and and weird. We'll talk about that later on. Yeah, my I, you know the couple times that I've been there in the off season, and I uh, at least once I've stood at the uh, at the the fence there at the edge of the field by the Super Eight Hotel, and. Uh, and I, I mean, it's really, it's a little bit mystical almost, but uh, you, you stand at the fence and you look out at the, at the, at the grass where there are no airplanes. I mean, it's just, just grass. And if you stand quietly for a moment and let the traffic noise behind you kind of fade away, you can still hear the airplanes and the campers and the, everybody out on the field. It's just like it's, it's ghosts. It's like there all the time in, in some way. I've always, I've, I've often said the force is strong in this place. All right. And, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> have you, have you had a, a cat scan lately? <laughs> no. Why would I want to ruin a good thing? He doesn't okay. even have a cat. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Jeb, have you ever been to Oshkosh in the off season? I have not. It's, um, it's an experience. You got to try it I'm out told sometime. It- I'm told it gets cold up there. Well, you don't got to go then. I mean, you know, Dave, Dave had a good reason to go in March, but uh, um, I've been there in like June and April and, and that kind of thing, and May, as I recall. Um, but, uh, you know, so, yeah. And the I, big difference between then and being there the last weekend in February is temperature. Yeah, yeah. Although I've always wanted to go back there for the, snow pl- the ski plane fly-in, which would be a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah. No, no. I, I, I've said this before, too. I've been going to our venture probably 10 years before I sat down one day, and it suddenly occurred to me that it's not always summer in Wisconsin. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, anyways. What well, a shock to the system. I'm jealous that you got to visit Oshkosh, and I'm very jealous that you got to go to you know, Artie and Ed's, but uh, we'll be there soon enough, although we've got a few things to do in the meantime. Um, and before we do any of those things, let me say welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, a high atop lookout point in the uh, prematurely spring-like uh, town of Nottingham, New Hampshire, where it's just been beautiful. It's been in the 60s and occasional 70s here this this uh, past week or so, and uh, all the snow has gone here, too, and... Uh, um, the lake is gradually working its way back up to summer height, and uh, I've been working on motorcycles and cars and and uh, and having a good old time here. So uh, uh, life is good here in uh, southern New Hampshire. I'm talking to my two good friends here in our virtual hangar. Uh, uh, that first voice was uh, Dave Higdon, who's talking to us now from uh, Wichita, Can- the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. What's going on? Well, it's uh, a... Uh Damp, foggy morning here. Uh, after a weekend, it was mostly wet. Uh, the first serious precipitation that we've had uh, in months. And uh, going to clear up, and the uh, prognosticators uh, say it's going to be 81 today, so it's going to make it damned hard to stay in the office and be productive. Yeah. But that's what we got to do. Yeah, 80 is just a is a is a is a, a glint in our eye here in New Hampshire. But uh, but uh, uh, speaking of 80s being a glint in your eye, uh, my other good friend here in the I don't know what that means in the virtual hangar is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. What's going on with you? Well, we're just glinting in our eye. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll hit 85 or something like that later today it's uh yeah okay 70, i hate you both then that's what maybe 74 yeah. i don't know what it is right now uh but uh yeah it's 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 not summer yet here but it's uh uh definitely spring for florida and uh weather's been pretty good it's been windy 
uh, which, um, you know, I, I want to talk to the guys who laid out the runway here. Um, <laughs> I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking they did a study. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the NASA wind study thing. All yeah, over it's the again. NASA wind study thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so, the, so the, yeah, the, the, the builders of hidden river in yeah, their they, wisdom, right? They, they studied the winds and decided that, um, determined, I should say, that about half the time the wind was from the north and about half the time the wind was from the south. So they laid out the runway east-west. Yeah, it's average, right? That makes sense Yeah, they're just <laughs> averaging the whole thing. And um, um, it gets a little interesting sometime in the late afternoon or, or midday, mid-afternoon, I should say. I think you're under something with the runway 1836 there. So uh. Yeah, I chatted about that with a couple of the locals, and they just kind of chuckled. And they didn't say, don't do it, but... You know, they didn't say do it. So, right, you report uh, back after you've tried it. I want to hear what they say after you. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. So what's going on in the world of general aviation these days? The uh, um, So there's been a handful of stories. There's one on our list, but I seem to recall a handful of stories um, from the feds uh, that are somewhat encouraging to GA. Um, so uh, we've got this FAA proposes a GA revitalization rule. Have you heard about this story? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, depends oh, yeah. on what we're talking about here. And I don't know, is this part of, I know they also, um, the FAA reauthored the budget, basically came out with some things in it that seemed encouraging and some things not in it that was encouraging. Oh, that's the Senate's proposal to uh, pass a FAA reauthorization bill. So that's the Senate's uh, bill. So what okay. you're mostly talking about here first up, though, is the FAA itself. Uh, issuing its long-awaited rewrite of Part 23. Oh, that's what this is. Okay. Yeah, tell, this has been in the works for, yeah. oh my, ages and ages and ages. Now, now, for people like myself who can't quite keep track of all these uh, these numbers and parts, what does 23 generally cover? Uh, generally, Part 23 covers the majority of the airplanes, the majority of a fly. Uh, small GA turboprop light jet up to uh, I think it's 19,000 pounds is the upper limit that you're describing on it uh, there's generally a seating limit I believe it's 19 seats but I'd have to look that up again anyway yeah 19 passengers maximum takeoff 19,000 pounds uh, and the big difference between old part 23 which has been built up over decades uh, of prescriptive solutions to problems and to satisfy their desire to make everything as safe as possible this uh, rewrite takes a performance-based approach by basically setting a performance standard that the manufacturer has to meet and then leaving it to them basically to decide how to meet that performance standard and the performance is not just airspeed and service ceiling but it's also things like stall speed and handling uh, recovery from upsets to uh, trimmed airspeed structural strength and uh, durability they basically say this is how good it has to be this is how it has to work mm -hmm. you figure out how to do it on your own right right Rather than saying, thou shalt built it this way to make it perform this way. Really, yeah. David, that sounds, and to my imprecise understanding of these things, that almost sounds a little bit like the way LSAs are regulated. Is there any comparison between the two? You are a perceptive 
perceptive fellow, oh. Mr. Hodgson. Well, that's, that's exactly how there it is. I've used up my, my one time. Sport rule is structured. It basically takes a performance-based approach and says, you've got to meet these performance standards within this weight and speed limit. And they did throw in a horsepower per fuel ratio uh, uh, standard on it, which I think is about, other than the maximum speed, weight, and stall speed are the only ironclad prescriptive elements of the LSA rule. The rest of it's basically up to the uh, plane maker to decide how they're going to meet that performance standard and then uh, to be able to document it under the consensus standards. Interesting. Jeb, what, what's your what's your sense of this whole thing? Um, proof will be in the pudding. I haven't looked at the proposed rule. Uh, it's been a long, long, long time in coming. A lot of uh, uh, industry effort has been put into uh, um, trying to, to mold this in advance, uh, trying to get it out of the agency. This is something that... Uh, Dave, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. It should have been done uh, in the aftermath of the 2012 FAA bill. So, some four years ago, this four years this has been languishing. Um, I can pretty much guarantee that uh, it'll get an. It's got a 60 day comment period, and pretty much guarantee it'll get an extension because uh, it's a it's a major rule for for the Part 23 uh, uh, aircraft uh, certification industry. Um, whether it will have the desired effect is uh, anybody's guess. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the idea here is to um, deregulate the existing Part 23 and, and as, as you correctly noted, uh, trying to apply some of the um, um, industry standards slash LSA-like uh, rules to uh, um, store-bought, well, I won't say store-bought aircraft, but uh, to uh, large, larger aircraft, SLSAs are factory built. Oh, okay. Um, to uh, a larger uh, non-LSA aircraft, aircraft singles, twins that don't meet the LSA rule. Um, whether it will have the desired effect is anyone's guess. Um, my gut hunch is it'll have some impact down the road. Um, we'll see, you know, some some new or, or varied. Uh, airframes come to market. Um, maybe we'll see some some uh, um, new power plants. Uh, the avionics world's probably not going to change that much. Um, but uh, you know, hey, may you live in interesting times. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jeb's right about the 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 uh, tardiness. Uh, this was uh, this part twenty three rewrite was proscribed by law in the. Uh, Small Airplane Revitalization Act of 2013. Uh, but as missing deadlines go, uh, I, first I have to agree with uh, Jeb. They, they did miss their deadline, but as the FAA's track record goes for missing deadlines, uh, <laughs> this was a close hit. Yeah. Uh, the deadline was December 15th of 2015, so they're basically uh, coming up three months late. And three months late is far shorter of tardiness than we've seen them <laughs> perform. Yeah. Uh, per, per tardiness standards we've seen them perform to in other areas. So uh, we'll give them credit for getting it out within the same year as the uh, uh, within a year of the deadline. I give them credit for getting it out within the same decade. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, keep in mind also they had a major rule uh, late last year uh, on the drone thing, drone registration and yada, yada. So, you know, the, the legal beagles uh, at, at the agency were kind of tied up late last year. I, I don't fault them for, for missing that deadline. Yeah. 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 And, and as we alluded, or as I sort of got confused and mixed them together, the uh, so the Senate has a has a, a bill. And again, I, I don't completely understand how the Senate works. It's a it's a you know, making sausages thing. But um, the uh, Senate proposed an FAA budget basically um, that had some somewhat encouraging things for GA in it. Um, uh, it uh, apparently had medical reform in it. Um, it apparently did not have privatization in it. Am I correct about these things? That's so correct. Far. Yeah. And, and and is this encouraging or is this just you know you know more business as usual? I mean, uh, I consider it encouraging uh, because basically the Senate said we're not going to engage with the House in a long drawn out fight over ATC privatization. And string together years worth of temporary reauthorization or continuing resolutions to keep the FAA open. They're saying, okay, we want to have the debate. You guys want to have the debate. Let's reauthorize the FAA for a year and a half and give ourselves some breathing room so that we're not having to run back in and, 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 and relight the checking account every 90 days or 120 days, uh, which is the path they're on right now. The yeah. current reauthorization expires on the 31st of this month. This is the U.S. Congress you're talking about. Right? <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, right? Because I don't, it's just, it's, it's, you used words to describe, I'm being cynical here, all right, but not so much, okay? Uh, it's, it's good, good for them, you, you know? I mean, you know, you go girl, Senate, because they're, they're, that's, this is progress. I like it. I like it. Well, we'll see it, what happens. It, you go back through American political history and you'll see hundreds, if not thousands of instances where, the Senate was credited with being the more mature, more deliberative, less radical of the two chambers. And the House so, was full of the great unwashed and the sometimes less disciplined and some less uh, uh, prone to hone to their jobs. So there's the, there's the, that's this the is episode, one of those examples. That's the episode title right there, David. Faint praise right there. It's like, it's like. <laughs> So what we see the Senate doing is uh, all in all a good thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Reading some of the reactions from the alphabet groups and some of the industry people I know, uh, they're they're standing on the sidelines saying, "You go, Senate, pass this puppy, send it to the House, let them pass it," because some of those fixes, like medical reform, would be permanent even though the authorization would uh, only last until the end of fiscal 2017, right, right. which would be yeah. September 31st of next year. Jeb, uh, words on this whole uh, reauthorization? Yeah, um, a couple of things. Um, the reason the Senate has gone ahead and developed a bill is because the House uh, it got mired down in the ATC privatization provisions of uh, the bill that was introduced earlier this year. Um, the Senate, uh, is, a lot of the Senate is on record as opposing the concept of ATC privatization. Um, and, uh, all of that is a real good thing. 
where this goes from here is anybody's guess. Um, they have not yet, to my knowledge, passed the uh, temporary extension of uh, funding FAA beyond March 31. So here we sit on the 14th. We've got 16, 17 days uh, for them to do that. Um, they, they, it'll get done probably in the last week or so of March. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But uh, then comes, well, all right, we we still need to get this reauthorization bill out. And uh, hello, come in. Uh, the House side is still uh, wants to try to finagle some way to get ATC privatization in. So it may be a, a long, hot summer, um, at least for some aviation lobbyists, uh, trying to... To, to walk some of this stuff through, there's yeah, there's some goodies in there in the in the Senate bill uh, for GA. Um, the uh, uh, I think medical reform is perhaps the the biggie. Uh, some flavor of that was also in the House bill. Um, ideally, the Senate would pass its bill, send it to the House. Uh, the House would tinker with it, not a whole lot, uh, and send it back. And they'd reconcile the differences, and it'd be on the president's desk. Uh, I'm kind of fuzzy on that whole tinker with it, not a whole lot thing. Though. Right, right. I, I don't necessarily. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of faith in uh, the powers that be. So, uh, vigilance is is uh, the eternal price we pay. Yeah, is this the sort of thing that we might see concluded around about the the last week in July? Um, is this, uh, is this one of the things that they like to announce at AirVenture, is my point? It, it, it is one of the things. Yeah, it is one of those things. And, uh, you know, there, there are certain senators and, and certain members of the House who would very much like to take a victory lap uh, the last week of July at a certain air show in Wisconsin. Um, this is an election year, as anybody who's got a pulse would know. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't begin to suggest to you that uh, some arbitrary deadline, like some air show in Wisconsin, yeah. uh, is driving That's the, true. Uh, the, That's the true. congressional schedule. That's true. So no, I think the Senate's uh, the, the driving force, and it, it, for it, for a reauthorization bill, this uh, Senate version has the distinction of uh, coming uh, into existence with bipartisan support uh, in the Senate. That is, it's got sponsors from both parties. Uh, and the timing there, uh, they're not even planning on, they introduced it last week, they're planning on a markup in committee next week. Yeah. So to get some markup in committee next yeah. week, then it would have to go to the full Senate. And conceivably, it could be moved over to the House in time for the House to start looking at it. Sure. While sun and fun's going on, because yeah. it probably won't hit over there until April. Right, right. So uh, let's, let's, then if the Senate acts, uh, and like Jeb says, there's no predicting them. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, well, we'll they, watch they this. could squeeze the skids and say, okay, we're going to have this argument over privatization with a little time, because it's become pretty obvious that, A, the Senate's not going to buy into Schuster's idea. And B. Schuster's having a hard enough time selling it. That's Representative Schuster from Pennsylvania that came up with this whole idea. Uh, he's having a hard enough time selling it to his own party members in his own chamber. So this would actually probably give him a little breathing room to uh, try to build support for his idea with something more than a, uh, a, a slanted hearing that 
gave the opponents a, a, an opportunity to voice and then let the uh, uh, proponents yeah, but it to death. Yeah. Yeah, we'll follow, see how it goes. Uh, by the time most people will hear this, uh, there will already been progress on this, probably. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Anyways, don't, uh, don't for a minute think that Schuster uh, won't try up to the last minute to get this ATC privatization thing done. Okay, okay. We'll Just watch saying. that as well. That sounds, yeah, that's a good tip. That's a good uh, thing to watch for. Uh, moving on here. Um, so we used to call this uh, off-field landing of the week. Maybe we need to rename this because it's, we still do call it off-field landing of the week. But uh, since we're no longer a weekly podcast and we don't even do this every episode, I don't know. But there was an off-field landing of the week that, of note uh, uh, just recently. A, uh, um, I believe it was a Cirrus 22 uh, uh, popped its, uh, its uh, airframe shoot, parachute um, in order to uh, get down on the ground safely. And it got caught on, uh, I don't know if it's some sort of security camera or a, uh, or a webcam or something, but uh, video went viral on the net of it, of it coming down um, somewhat hard, as they are wont to do, um, in the grassy area between, between a building and some trees. Which, uh, and, and I was part of a – you guys saw this video, I assume, right? Yeah. Yeah. It hit hard. That's nominal, though, for for a Cirrus under canopy. Yeah, no, I know it is, and uh, and it's uh... all right. So we're back here. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, David. What'd you say? I said I didn't expect today's podcast to be a trip to the dentist. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what that means, other than it being somewhat painful. Yeah, uh, we're back, folks. We had a little technical problem there, and uh, and as a result, uh, Skype's fighting us this morning. So uh, we've got David back on uh, on his cell phone right now, and uh, and uh, we will marshal on here. Um, off-field landing of the week. Uh, we've got a uh, we've got a a Cirrus. I believe it was a Cirrus 22 uh, that came down under its parachute recently uh, as a result of some sort of of uh, in-flight failure, and uh, got caught by uh, uh, some sort of, I don't know if it's a security camera or, or a webcam or something, and went, went viral on the net. Um, lots of people talking about this, and uh, you guys saw this video, I assume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Classic Stewart SR20 SR22 touchdown. Yeah, it's a, and 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 some people don't realize that that's the way it lo- that's what it looks like. It, it it appears to the you know sort of the uh, the unfamiliar viewer that it comes down hard and in a funny attitude and whatnot, but that's just the way it works. And apparently, that's designed that way for the best result. Um, it uh, Jeb, you were commenting how it came. It, it appeared to come down hard. What, 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 yeah, as I say, it, it appeared to come down hard, but that's pretty nominal for a Cirrus under canopy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was part of some conversation on the net about what the you know sort of uh, uh, prognosis is for airplanes that do this. I was under the impression that um, popping the chute almost by definition totaled the airplane. Um, that that the rocket motor and the and the uh, and the stresses and whatnot um, damaged the airplane beyond repair. Am I mistaken about that? Because it appears that well, I am. My understanding is that initially, when the Cirruses first went in the service. Uh, that popping the chute did pretty much total the airplane. Um, since then, uh, techniques have been developed uh, to, um, you know, depending on the damage to the airframe, um, to recycle it, as it were, and, and uh, put it, get it back airworthy. In this case, I have no clue whether that's possible. And the, the, the sequence that you see in that video... Uh, is by design 
so that the structure absorbs impact energy to protect the occupants from uh, from uh, injury. Uh, so it, you know, basically collapses the nose gear, uh, the main gear splay out, and there's a crush pan underneath the seat that supposedly absorbs more energy when uh, on impact. But uh, like Jeb said, that, that was the initial uh, uh, standing for these airplanes when they first came out. But after they'd had multiple deployments and had a chance to study the aircraft, uh, they decided it wasn't an automatic total, uh, much to the relief, I think, of some of the insurers and some of the owners. Yeah. Another thing that I was talking about online um, is uh, is what, if any, directional control does the pilot of this disabled aircraft have? Um, and, and do they have any? Rudder pedal. And, and is yeah, that, is they that still at all have... effective? Uh, yeah, it'll be effective to a certain point, but basically the whole thing's just weather vanes so that the airplane's pointing into the wind and it's coming down kind of backwards. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. I mean, it, it's like any other object floating in the air, it's going to move downwind. Um, right. And the airplane, as Dave points out, should you know nominally weather vane into the wind. So you still have aileron, you still have rudder, you still have pitch control. They're not going to do a whole lot. You might be able to twirl the airplane around the, the shrouds or something, uh, but why would you even want to do that? Uh, you, you, once you pull the chute, uh, ballistics determine where it comes down. Right. And that was sort of one of my comments was that uh, in this, this off-field landing of the week, um, the, uh, the passengers were somewhat fortunate in that uh, they did come down on the grass. Um, from, from the video, camera position, it appeared that they landed between some trees and a building, and the mm-hmm. result might have been different if they didn't come down in that, uh, you know. So, I mean, the parachute is certainly way better than falling out of the sky, um, but uh, it's, it's somewhat problematic in terms of where you're going to touch down. Um, yeah. There was also a lot of conversation about whether people are popping the chute too often these days, which is an interesting conversation. In the uh, early days of these chutes, they yeah. were popping them not enough, um, or there was some there was some thought that they were popping them not enough. Um, and now we seem to be seeing a lot of, of examples of these chutes going off. And, uh, you know, Jeb, you sigh. What do you think? Yeah, I sigh because um, <laughs> people who say, well, he pulled a chute prematurely, or he didn't need to pull a chute, or... Yeah, there there have been maybe maybe some episodes of that, but you know I'm not going to second guess the piloting command if he or she uh, decides that the situation is not salvageable and reaches up and pulls the red handle. Um, that's a pilot in command decision. I wasn't there. You weren't there. And as long as they walk away, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the Monday morning quarterbacks or the Monday morning TICs don't have the view that the uh, SR-22 pilot had and can't automatically say, you know, oh, gee, he missed an option to dead stick into this field or that field. Uh, you know, you've been to Long Island. Uh, how much wide open spaces are on Long Island? Not, not a precious lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... It's a, you know, yeah. I mean, if it's what you need to do, though, you're, David, Jeb, I, I agree with you. You know, it's, yeah, it's what the uh, pilot decided he needed to do. Yeah, we, we weren't there. My understanding is, just from a quick scan of this article and 
kind of wait for the NTSB prelim. But quick scan of this article: they were in route from from uh, Rhode Island to uh, eastern uh, Western Long Island, and uh, at 2,000 feet, uh, when the engine quit. Uh, don't know why the engine quit, of course. Um, and at 2,000 feet over Long Island, my guess is you probably don't have a whole lot of options. Uh, so pulling the chute, um, hey, you know they're they're both still they're both alive. Um, you have to be alive to be at the enforcement hearing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. So I, I don't I don't have any second guess on any of this. Yeah, sounds good to me. And uh, I still hear this after this happened. I was at a uh, uh, a little afternoon. Uh, a happy hour session with some friends, and they, they, most of them aren't pilots, but a couple of them were, and the, the deployment came up. And one of the uh, pilots there quit. He says, you know how much those parachutes weigh? And I said, yeah, uh, uh, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 60, 65 pounds uh, for the whole system. And uh, he said, you know, I can't think of a better thing to do with the Cirrus than buy it and take out that parachute and get that all all that useful load back. <laughs> Sixty five uh, pounds, man. Yeah, I know, right? Wow. Yeah. That'll make the difference right there. I uh, I said that you know, it's certainly up to you. Uh, good luck getting an experimental type certificate for it. Yeah. And his eyebrows went up and he said, What do you mean? I said, Well that parachute is part of the type certificate. You take the parachute out of that airplane and the rocket out of the airplane and God help you if you're screwing with the rocket. Uh you're no longer uh an airworthy aircraft according to the paperwork uh, that Cirrus aircraft received when that airplane was certificated. Right. That's part of the aircraft. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, uh, oh, gee, I'm going to take the tail off of it because it puts too much weight in the back. I know. Good luck. Good for that. Those I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to get a Sawzall, and I'm going to convert my airplane to a V-tail. No deal. <laughs> no go. issue. There you go. Yeah. Because yeah. think of all the weight that you gain, right? I know. That's right. Perfect. Yeah. So, hey, yeah, you get less drag because you got one less surface back there. That's right. That's right. That's right. Hey, congratulations, this Long Island pilot, for uh, getting his airplane on the ground safely. And, uh, you know, good job. And uh, fly another day. And apparently the airplane has a chance to fly another day. So that's a good yep. thing, too. Um. I wonder. I wonder if that shows up on plane facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah you right. You heard of car facts, right? Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Does it? Yeah, when you—that's right. Do you have to disclose that when you sell the airplane? You know, it's like. Well, I think I think you know, uh, reinstalled parachute, uh, uh, rebuilt landing gear, um, glassed over bottom of airframe. It's a logbook entry, and and uh, you kind of have to read between the lines. Yeah, yeah, but but if you word it properly, it'll be a you know it might not be clear. You know? So, anyways, I, I've I've seen worded properly logbook entries for after gear up landings and uh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, you could you could you could try to get that past them, but uh, um, the the best the best plain facts out there is to simply Google the end number. There you go. But, yeah, right, because it'll show up in the news stories. There you go. Yeah. There you go. David, David, why were you in Oshkosh? What was going on in Oshkosh? Well, uh, we've talked briefly and infrequently about a little airplane project that uh, I've taken on to build a Sonex YX. Uh, and uh, the last weekend in February was uh, Sonex Aircraft's 62nd 
builder's workshop at their factory there on the uh, northeast side of uh, Whitman Regional Airport. So uh, on Friday the 26th, I boarded a smoker out of Wichita for my least favorite airport, O'Hare. And after an uncharacteristically painless plane change in weight, uh, got deposited at Green Bay, picked up a rental unit, and uh, down to Oshkosh, where I stayed at the uh, the uh, Hilton Garden for Ooh, a change. you're special. You stayed at the Hilton. I suppose in March, well, staying at the Hilton's not that big a deal. No, it wasn't busy. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't busy by a long shot. There were a couple of small events there, but I uh, got a nice room overlooking the airport uh, up on the third floor, and uh funny thing is, is the package that I bought with airfare, rental car, and hotel, the price difference between the uh, Garden Inn and our perennial favorite, the Superb 8, was like 15 bucks. Yeah, right, uh, exactly, but, yeah. A little different than... Yeah, for, I, for listeners who are not familiar, the uh, during Air Venture, uh, you know, two three week period, um, the Hilton is the is, the Hilton is a is a, a relatively nice, a really nice hotel, um, also along the fence line of Whitman Whitman Field, also with through the gate access through the fence access, and oh, uh, it's got its own ramp. Yeah, it's got its own ramp, and uh, during during Air Venture, it is the place where the serious VIPs get to stay, and uh, um, mere mortals like us stay at the Super Eight and 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 whatnot. But uh, or not, yeah, or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the Hilton is a very cool thing um, during Air Venture Week, anyways. Um, so, Jeb, uh, David, you were there for uh, for uh, the Sonics. What what what's the nature of this Sonics uh, session? Well, basically, it's a little workshop uh, that explains to you how their builder's instructions work, how to use the blueprints, the uh, what they call builder's trees, which are these sheets that show you you build this part and then the next to it and one the next to it, and then you start following the lines up to the top where all those parts will come into an assembly, and it's laid out in a logical order so that you're building things that can go into something bigger, that can go farther along in completing the aircraft. Uh, they they uh, gave us uh, some sample parts, and we built a, uh, a piece of wing spar and uh, put in a rib and a leading edge uh, and riveted all up. Uh, they uh, gave us a backgrounder on building the uh, Aero V engine, uh, uh, which is a probably the most popular choice among uh, Sonics builders with the uh, uh, Jabiru, uh, I think, 330, probably next in line behind that. Uh, different folks from the staff were there, so we could get to know the folks that uh, do customer service, answer technical questions, uh, you can sell us replacement parts when we box up, bollock something up. Uh, and it was also an opportunity for those who uh, cared to partake to have a uh, initial transition training flight in the model of Sonics that you're building. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky enough to uh, be able to sign up and uh, pay a few bucks to get a uh, about an hour with a transition instructor and a YX prototype with an 80-horse Aero V engine. And about 35 minutes of that was airtime flying off of uh, 2.7, and that's when Oshkosh really felt weird to me, was being in the airspace 
flying around and not having to worry about five different patterns all going on at the same time. Yeah, right. You mean uh, I'm really allowed to fly here? I don't understand. It's Yeah, must be odd. Yeah. Yeah, and when we were uh, out over uh, Lake Winnebago making turn to final on 2-7, uh, you know, the controller didn't say land on the green, orange, or red dot. He just said clear to land. Are the dots still we there? Are they already in I'm sorry. Are are the dots still there? They they don't get painted out during the rest of the year, do they? Or do they? I didn't even notice them. Yeah. I think they get cleaned out. Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, removable. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't notice any dots. Maybe I didn't get far enough down the runway. But uh, 35 minutes of uh, air time with a long book entry uh, to start my transition training. Uh, the airplane. The best part about it was that there were re- no surprises except that I needed to use a lot less rudder input than I thought I would on takeoff. Uh-huh. Other than that, uh, real sweet flying airplane, good control harmony, uh, took very little rudder and even steep turns, uh, and uh, nice and speedy for the horsepower. So, uh-huh. And the guy in the right seat was bigger than me, so uh, told me that at my size, if I can keep from getting any larger, I'll be more than comfortable with the space I've got. And the workshop also gave us an opportunity to take a look at the two prototypes for the Sonex Model B and the YX Model B. Uh, and uh, I came away happy that uh, I made the choice I made and not sorry that I didn't have an opportunity to wait. I'm just fine with it the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Jeb, have you ever considered so, building your own airplane? I have. Um. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, 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 did it did that thinking go as far as deciding you know the, sort of the nature of the airplane? Would you build a metal airplane? Would you build a <laughs> composite airplane? Would you build a tube and fabric airplane? What do you, what do you think? I, I uh, haven't really thought about it that in that kind of detail. I I've, I've thought about it more in the sense of what would I buy or I'm sorry, what would I build. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of jumping off points there also. Um, you know, an amphib, uh, something aerobatic, um, something to go places in, um, it, it gets back to the old, you know, you need three airplanes. Exactly. Uh, yes. <laughs> one, one to go fast, one to go slow, one to go upside down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and, uh, I've got a fast one. Uh, it'll go slow, but not quite the same. You yeah. can't really open a window. A, a serious um, getting places airplane. Yes. Yeah. So there's the, there's that. So, you know, uh, a, a, an aerobatic amphib, um, uh, which I don't, I guess they exist. I don't know. I haven't really, uh, researched aerobatic amphib, but yeah, maybe I someone know, with the huh? Google could, could do that. That's an interesting question. Uh, okay. Yeah. But after that, um, I go lie down. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. David, uh, before we move on here, um, I, I know I get the feeling you're mostly getting set up for your build, but but any, any specific progress on the build? Well, the shop is ready for me to uh, actually start work and uh, cutting metal uh, after some time I spent over there last week. Uh, not much time, but deadlines have been really crazy lately, sure. and with Sunday fun coming up in uh, a little over two weeks to depart for that. It's not going to get any calmer until after I get back from Lakeland. Yeah, so, it would, 
it would seem to me that there's a lot of prep that's 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 a good idea before you get started. So what do they call it in cooking? Crudité? No, no, that's not right. They call it uh, mise en place. I think they call it, uh, which is you know get everything organized, get all your chopping done, get everything you know measured out and prepared before you start cooking. So um, that's that's my sense of where you are in the process, and uh, you know. We're... Yeah, that's about right. I've got uh, I've got drills and uh, drill bits and clicos and clico wrenches and cutting devices and uh, got some boxes opened up and uh, parts inventory. So uh, just need now to uh, get some days where I can spend a couple hours uninterrupted uh, or more uh, three or four days a week and we'll start to see the uh, progress happen. Yeah. Yeah, you need an internet connection over there so you can set up a workstation and and go back and forth between writing and riveting, you know. And uh, yeah, it's really close. Uh, it's less than five minutes away. So uh, just me and my uh, my uh, guilt trip if I'm not being productive. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what airplane projects are for—to uh, not get real work done, right? That's I don't know. <laughs> hey, I. Go ahead, David. I said that's the way it's shaping up. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, what with all our technical problems here, I've sort of lost track of time here, but I think we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. So uh, um, I was thinking we jumped to shout-outs here. Uh, anybody got any shout-outs? I got, I got one at least. Uh, I guess I'll go, go first while you, I, you guys organize your thoughts. Um, and that is to remind folks that uh, just about the time most people are listening to this, uh, this podcast, we're going to be arriving in, uh, at, in Lakeland for Sun and Fun. And uh, looking forward to it as usual. We're going to be the guests of our good friends at uh, Sun and Fun Radio. Uh, and uh, Dave Shellbetter and company are, uh, are making a spot for us to uh, hang out and to do a couple episodes from their deck. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then we'll be there throughout the week doing, doing dailies. Specifically, uh, we're going to do uh, a full-blown UCAP episode on uh, Tuesday afternoon. That's day one of Sun and Fun. Um, and uh, that'll be a, the, the, the time is always a little bit variable because it comes after the air show concludes so it'll be you know five six probably six ish um and uh and that'll be uh, aired uh, we recorded for the podcast stream it'll also be aired live on sun and uh, on sun and fun radio and uh, and also on the sun and fun internet stream uh you can learn more all about that by going to sun and fun uh sun dash n dash fun dot dot Ooh, ooh. is it net or com? I don't have it in front of me. Anyways, go to Sun and Fun's website and find the EA, uh, the EAO. David Shellbetter's going to yell at me now. The Sun and Fun radio link, and there's information there about where you can listen to it online and uh, and on the, over the air when you're down there. So Tuesday afternoon, um, Sunday morning at around about eleven o'clock, uh, we will do another full blown episode from the uh, Sun and Fun radio deck, and then finally uh, we will throughout the week be doing uh, a bunch of our shorter. Uh, uh, UCAP daily episodes uh, about uh, a variety, all, all sorts of act- atmosphere and activities and stuff that are happening throughout the week. So that's uh, UCAP at the Sun and Fun Fly-In uh, coming up real soon now. What else? You guys got any shout-outs here? Yeah. Um, one to uh, Breck Jeffrey, uh, who uh, owns a, uh, a specific uh, Beach Baron uh, that he's letting me fly. Uh, very much appreciate uh, uh, his time and energies and and uh, making all that happen, and uh, just wanted to get his name on record. Yeah, are you? Do you want to talk about that? You're headed out today to do some more of that. I am headed out today, um, this afternoon, headed up to Manassas. Um, 
Um, the weather is supposed to be pretty scuzzy this evening and, and later this afternoon, so that'll be an interesting flight. But I'm uh, um, going to try to spend the week uh, flogging the Baron again, and uh, um, we'll see what happens. Flogging the Baron. Yeah, so the, flogging, flogging the Baron. All of a sudden, yes. I have all kinds of episode title possibilities here. <laughs> David, shout-outs? Yeah, this is the most logical one I can uh, give. A, a big shout-out to the folks that I met up at uh, the Sonex Builders Workshop from uh, the Sonex Flyer Wayne, who lives down the field that I met, a uh, fan of the podcast. Shout-out to Wayne, to John and Betty Manette, uh, to uh, Mark and uh, Carrie and uh, all the gang there that uh, pitched in and helped intimate us some on the uh, the uh, simplicity of building a sheet metal airplane. And uh, to Tom, my uh, transition uh, training pilot, uh, as I told him, he uh, showed me how much rust remover I need before I get in the cockpit on a full-time basis again. So it was a good time and learned a lot. And uh, thanks, and we'll see you again. Sounds good. Is that it? Any other shout-outs, Jeb? Um, not today. No? Fork time, then. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, oh, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa. Yeah. One, one more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To uh, uh, Kirk Fryer and his team at uh, Sarasota Avionics. Oh, yeah. Uh, for for all the work and whatnot they've, they've put into my airplane. Very much appreciate it. And uh, uh, obviously a top-notch top shop. Uh, uh, well, should be well-known by anybody who's considering uh, acquiring some avionics. And... Uh, just uh, one more time, Kirk Fryer, Sarasota Avionics. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, uh, I, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to get too much detail here, but uh, anybody who's paying attention to things may take note that uh, the next episode is kind of special. And uh, if things go according to plan, uh, uh, we will uh, get up close and personal with the debonair. And, uh, and yeah. I, I'm hoping at that point to learn a little bit more about some of the improvements that you've made uh, to the panel yeah. and to the airplane in general. Um, sure. So uh, listeners, stay tuned for that. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, my good friends who, uh, uh, I appreciate your patience as we have a little technical problems here, but, uh, I think we, uh, we made it work. Uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer an aviation journalist and the U S editor, U S editor, easy for me to say for uh, London's Av buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Anything coming out soon? People can check out. Uh, lots of stuff. Uh, seems like it's been crazy the last month. And I forgot to, I uh, don't want to do this, I forgot to shout out to Charlie Becker from the AA, who also came over and talked to us at the workshop. Always good to see Charlie. Uh, and uh, what am I working on? I, uh, I don't know. I'm lost. Well, if people wanted, to go, people wanted to go online and search for your byline, where would be good places for them to look on the internets? Uh, the uh, best places to go be avbuyer.com, where my weekly biz av blog and my features run, uh, uh, net for the work I do for avionics news, and, uh, and or if you're interested in nostalgia pieces, uh, Google my name and read something in one of the magazines or online publications that I worked for over the years. Very cool. And on Twitter, you are... Real Higdon. Real Higdon on Twitter. And Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Big thanks to you, Jeb. I appreciate it. What have you been working on? What's going on? Uh, nothing a whole lot. Uh, put the uh, <clears throat> the April issue of Aviation Safety to bed. Uh, 
week or so ago. Uh, came out very nice. I, I had talked in a recent episode I was going to do a piece on JFK Jr. I uh, didn't get around to it for that issue, but I'm hoping to squeeze it in in the next couple. Yeah, looking forward uh, to that. Sounds just, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so other than that, um, <clears throat> uh, let's see, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Uh, AEA.net also. I haven't had anything. Well, I did have something in the February issue, um, but it'll be, I guess, the uh, the May issue will be the next article I have for uh, Avionics News. Uh, GA News, uh, I'm sorry, GeneralAviationNews.com. Uh, um, and uh, who knows where else I might show up. In the Twitter, you're Burnside J. Correct, Amundo. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Follow me at twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. And you can learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes and in the forums and just general uh, 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 moral support. Uh, thanks to Mike Morgan, to Roy Searle, to Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We've got a new cool one coming from Mike Morgan very soon now. Yeah, uh, dude, you rock. Yeah, really. Um, and uh, and uh, that's another that's another uh, little hint about next next episode. Uh, please follow us on Twitter. at twi- uh, the, uh, the podcast itself is at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's class... The letter G, airspace, no spaces, no dots, no nothing in the middle there. Um, and uh, you never know what might turn up there. Check out the UCAP swag shop at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store for all of your uh, cool UCAP gear and mugs and hats and 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 who knows what else. Um, and don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the uncontraced, uncontraced, uncontrolled airspace forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, help me out here. What were you going to say? Live old, live long by flying because as y'all know, I mean, just look at us. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.